right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Oh, yeah. Josh and I back in the saddle again. Uh, just real quickly, today's agenda is going to be, we're going to talk a little bit about the State of the Union, a uh, little sports talk, and we're also going to do our This Week in Infamy, where Josh <laughs> is, uh, is going to be surprising me with an article and we're going to discuss. Yeah. Um, you know, we're just going to kind of get into some general housekeeping here real quick. Did you get any feedback from the initial reboot episode, Josh? Yeah, yeah. I've had uh, several friends and a few family members reach out and um, tell me they love what they've heard so far. There, A lot of people are really enjoying the throwback episodes, too. Um, I've noticed uh, a lot of people thought they were pretty funny, you know, to reach back that far. And Absolutely. See what we thought then and how it, like, you know... It relates to today and stuff. Yeah, so. Rusty made a comment uh, from Last Flight Home. Yeah, that it was really nice to actually be able to, you know, hear Cato's voice again too. Oh yeah, you know, that yeah. was another thing that for sure. That was another piece of feedback that I got specifically about the throwback episodes and and uh, you know I kind of I went through and listened to a few episodes and made some selections, some snippets because all those shows ran about two hours long. Yeah. Back yeah. in the day, we had our musical breaks and everything else, and that kind of littered in there. That kind of added to the time. But, uh, you know, we would, just as this format is, do several different segments. So it was kind of like, you know, I had to go back and pick out excerpts and right. how things have changed over time. But right. the cyclical nature of history in particular. So, you know, we were having the censorship talk, and now there's a lot, you know, a talk about banning books from school, you know, like right. Mouse, um, you know, things like cancel culture and where, yeah. do, where do you draw those lines and you know um you know so the censorship aspect of things as well and kind of some of our you know we even talked about there was a name drops about isis and things like that historically kind of what the you know foreign affairs were right and you know i brought that back up to today and and one of our topics which will be kind of what's going on in the world with russia and ukraine right now as well and, and the u.s's involvement in that but it was just Again, the cyclical nature, I felt like those throwback episodes were actually very timely to, you know, things that are going on. Yeah, it's cool how they're kind of relevant to the current day situations. Uh. And uh, so we're just going to just kind of jump into some other uh, housekeeping type items. So outside of just some of the feedback that we got uh, on the initial episode, as well as the throwback segments that we put up, uh, wanted to let everybody know that Enemy Airship, who was our featured artist on the very first episode... They've actually released their first single in six years, so they actually put that up on uh, February fourth, and it's been making the rounds. It's it's getting media coverage up in St. Louis. It's fantastic, and it is uh, a superb piece of art. Right. Um, Congrats to those guys. And, and absolutely fantastic. And I kind of already had in the caliber. We're going to have a, a different featured artist today, but we uh, definitely want to direct folks to go to Enemy Airship. They're on Bandcamp primarily is where I would recommend where they put their music out at, and you can support them there as well. Uh, I would go there, give that song all the loves, plays, likes, shares, listens, and this is the first song, eight-track album that they're actually recording right now. Um, so there's more to come. Yeah, and you know, I think just they have one. like uh, that's the first one on Bandcamp. Don't they have like a pay what you want for mm-hmm. their discography yes you can do their discography uh or you can buy individual albums or individual tracks you know it's kind of the same format with any other band camp page if you will um keep local but, music alive absolutely support and local artists whatever you can throw at them do so and these guys did not encourage us or ask us to say these things just big like fans. they are friends we and are fans. friends and fans for sure and outside of the fact you know i mean just 
it, it's good music and i think that it appeals to a lot of people across several different genres so. right yeah we have also reached out in still yet in the process of kind of lining up some some guests going forward and we'll get to, into kind of where the next couple of episodes are going to be going as well however we just kind of want to let you know uh kind of what we're where we're trying to take the show and kind of the plans and some of the guests that we do want to bring in um, so I've reached out to some folks in the SEL metal scene. Uh, we're going to have some metal bands on here. We're going to have people representing some punk genre. Um, cool. uh, we've got a graphic design artist kind of lined up to talk to, as well as a uh, custom D&D uh, and diorama artist. Uh, medical dispensary management. We hope to have somebody on here from a Amer- uh, local medical uh, dispensary. Uh, for cannabis and uh, kind of discuss that and uh, Josh and I can kind of elaborate on that as <laughs> as uh, patients of such FSET programs um, so that that should be an interesting good time but we're going to really approach that from a, a more um, astute uh, standpoint if you right. will yeah. and kind of what all goes into running a medical cannabis um, dispensary and how well that that's going um, from the business standpoint right now in the state of Missouri, which is right. relatively new. You know, this bringing, is the first it's a new industry. It's bringing jobs. We've not even been a full year into having the program mm-hmm. and being a part of law and, and use. So I think that episode in particular, I'm really looking forward to doing. We also just kind of let you know where the kind of the, some of the next shows are. Cause you know, I last, uh, classic segment we did, I hopped on for about five minutes and kind of let you know what kind of what was going on and, and so on and so forth, peel back the curtain a little bit. So the next episode in particular, we are actually going to have our buddy Brandon on, Brandon Stewart. He is the uh, custom D&D and diorama artist. Uh, it's something relatively new that Brandon has gotten into doing, and it's kind of his side hustle. So I personally don't play D&D, yeah, uh, um, or, nor have I ever. I, um, I've had friends that do, right, and I'm aware right. of it and what it is. and yeah. I feel like it's kind of made a resurgence with you know, Stranger Things even recently. I saw a lot of younger kids in places like Target and so on and so forth start right. carrying some... Well, I've seen like new uh, Star Wars tabletops and stuff like that too, which yeah. is you know, based off D&D. They just kind of changed the theme. But um, no, I actually do have a friend that I used to work with, a buddy of mine named Kevin out of Farmington. He's actually a streamer on Twitch and they, him and a bunch of friends stream D&D on Twitch. And, and you guys... I think that's what Brandon does too as well. Yeah. And yeah, that, well, that's cool. I didn't that, know he was streaming it. That might even be how he, and I really haven't talked to him in the weeds other than just kind of passerby type stuff with us, but I would speculate that that's kind of you know, where he got the inspiration to kind of start doing his own stuff. But right. um, we got, we're going to have Brandon on the show, and then we after that will be the Cato tribute episode, and I'm really looking forward to, do, to doing that to honor yeah, his memory. Sure. So yeah, that's hey, kind I'm, of, Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we actually are just going to keep this train rolling, keep things moving quickly. So we're going to take a small break here and we're going to jump into the State of the Union um, address as well as uh, kind of the things that were addressed in there and discussion topics, which will kind of lead us into some Russian invasion talk. So we'll see you on the other side of the break. Stick around. Welcome, welcome. 
Uh, so let's talk, and I feel like this is a good starting point about Biden's State of the Union address. Right. Uh, you know, I kind of alluded to this on the first show that the, that the Biden administration, unfortunately, is leaving a little bit to be desired, if you will. A lot of mm-hmm. campaign promises were made that haven't been followed up on or even seemingly there's attempts to, you know. Right. Uh, Biden really pandered to a lot of people on the far left, um, you know, toting out possibilities of student loan death relief, which there's been some, but it's very minute. Yeah, it's been more you know? of just pushing off student loan payments than, I right. mean, I know they and, did oh, that, 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 That's been going on, too. At <laughs> yeah. first, they kind of masked that into... Uh, the pandemic, right? Uh, you know, as well Relief. as the moratorium on, you know, like rents and things like that at the right. time. So I, you know, it kind of started there, and it, it, it and I'm all about, you know, let's let's start with an inch and see if we can take that mile right. uh, politically. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, but you know, and you have to walk before you can run. Right. However, it's not looking like student loans debt is getting completely forgive, which I think would be a huge boost to our economy, especially an economy well, that's in the middle of inflation and not threat of war. It's not a boost to the economy. It's a boost to the morale of the American people who you just feel like they're getting kicked. You know what I mean? Like yeah. inflation and like you're talking, you know what I mean? Everything going up, prices stuff and people, people's wages not going up and, you know, not right. being able to work right. because of the pandemic. I mean, at least healthcare workers, I feel like we could take care of our healthcare workers that worked through the entire pandemic that should right. be a starting point no question and you know they've kind of put qualifiers on some of the relief that they've given as well um so you know things like well we'll give you student loan relief but you have to be you have to work for a government agency right yeah there's you know, stipulations so there's, yeah it's, it's hoops that people are having to jump through right um you know now uh, kind of a big thing that's going on is kind of the uh sally may um settlements that are happening because of the shady dealings that they did is you know student load bodying entities right where essentially they were you know sharking with per, that's per, exactly right for-profit uh absolutely for-profit institutions and, universities so and so like um, university of phoenix for one right so another thing um to get more specifically back onto the state of the union itself so biden kind of opened up with you know Thankfully, we're all back together again. COVID's rescinding. These are, our, you know, kind of our direction where we're going as a nation coming out of a pandemic. But really the big topic, I feel like at least thematically, temperature-wise, uh, at least as far as one topic in particular that was discussed the most for the longest length of time was Russia's invasion of the U- U- Ukraine. Right. I mean, um, rightfully so. I mean, it's a humanitarian absolutely. crisis and it's a global security crisis. So exactly, it's got to be a hot topic, regardless of where you lie your bed or lie your head at night in right. what bed, whether you're a Republican or you know a Democrat. It doesn't matter. This is a, a global issue. This concerns everybody. So well, it's America's the biggest arms manufacturer and dealer in the entire world, quite frankly. Right. Well, the biggest military budget in the world by far. Right. I mean, that's a lot of our money that's ran through the government is, uh, you know, defense contracts Mm -hmm. and R&D and weapons development and so on and so so forth. Anything to do with weapons, quite frankly. Um, So, you know, we always somehow, whether it's either direct, second, third hand, often have our fingerprints on things happening in a military sense in the world, regardless of anything. 
Uh, of course, us being an elite military power, there's always concerns of even if you hear about you know one small country having an uh, interaction with another, if America's going to get involved. You know, and it's always on the talking head shows, your 24 hours news networks, they bring pundits on to perpetuate these type and fill airtime and speculate all day long. Team America, baby. Right. World police. So, um, <laughs> but Russia's a special case, obviously, because uh, Putin has a hard on for America and America has a hard on for Putin. It just takes you back to that 50s uh, Soviet... Uh, Cold War Yeah, tensions, Cold War right? tensions, right? Yeah, post-World War II Cold War tensions, and that's essentially a lot of what's at hand here, too. You know, a lot of people don't realize. And and so, you know, we're going to kind of address it while we're there because, you know, the, the topic is the topic. So in Russia, um, you know, I will say at least thankfully, it's this seems to be a bipartisan support here. Oh yeah, you know, I uh, think like you know the majority me. of Republicans, the majority of Democrats, right. in over astounding numbers, are very <laughs> anti-Russia in this in this movement. Don't are not supporting anything that they do. Right. Let alone in our country in these political factions, but globally, you're seeing that too. So fortunately. A large part of the world is condemning Putin, his actions, Russia, putting on sanctions. I mean, businesses are literally not conducting business in Russia with right. purpose. Right. Um, you know, Apple, Apple Google. Yeah. No more iPhones in Russia. Yeah. Um, uh, Disney, um, either streaming services. I think Shell Fuel Company or whatever. I think they cut ties with buying oil or something like that. I from mean, it's, Russia? there's so many updates coming out with all these businesses that are severing themselves from Russia, and then also America as part of Biden's speech imposed a no, uh, we're not, you know, no fly zone for Russia over America, so right uh, or into, um, so we're not allowing any travel into America rather, so uh, from Russia in particular. So that's you know another, yeah, how much of the world's air traffic is russia coming to america i i couldn't tell you that stat right now right but again it's all a part of this posturing and and deterrence um so kind of the big thing that hit russia was the shutting down of their swiss transactions oh yeah which made it impossible for them to do global business in yeah they cut respect. them off from swift yeah um so what's also ta taken place and this seems kind of petty but just kind of almost thematically and chronologically as how these things happen but also they started seizing russian assets yeah, um the oligarchs you know, are losing their so the oligarchs in particular yeah so like i think the french government as well as the german government have both seized um some of the uh oligarch personal property i think a russian oligarch actually owned a football team which a soccer team in england and i think he's actually selling it now because he said it would be in the best interest of the organization and the fans and well at least he's voluntarily doing right it. well but, it makes you wonder yeah. if the speaking of russian businessmen you know did you see the one million dollar bounty that's on putin's head a russian businessman put up oh god yeah. no already Seriously, yes because of all the money that he is losing because of all these sanctions oh, but sure, he also dude. supports them yeah. It's because he's anti-Putin, obviously. Right. He's putting, but th that really... just tells you the state of their country. I mean, in St. Petersburg, that's exactly right. In, in St. Petersburg, they had, in, and you can be literally killed on the street, no ifs, ands, or buts over there 
with protesting in the streets oh, yeah, against you, the government. I was reading that you have to have permission to organize any kind of anything like that, whether it be a demonstration, yeah. a protest, uh, anything organized has to be approved by the government. It's not like here where it's protected, like you want to go out and march in the street, you're you're constitutionally protected. It's not like that in Russia, right. you know what I mean? Well, I, I'm, I consider myself semi-politically aware, and I like to think I got some of my geography in order, but, you know, there's a lot of countries in the world, of course, so... You know, people lose track of where these places are in relation to each other right. globally, uh, geographically. Kind of what I want to hit on, too, while we're here is, you know, how did this all start and why? Because, you know, people hear about this happening and they, well, it's not here, so they, they don't think that it really involves them. But then they start hearing kind of the water cooler talk. Oh, my gas is up because of Russia. And then people don't right. really understand or draw those connections as to what is really going on here. Um, but I think like many of people, kind of as this all started to first happen, I I wanted to know because, you know, you just hear news bites and headlines sometimes. It doesn't tell the full story. So I myself... It's pointed most exactly of the time. Exactly right. Yeah. There's, it's always politically, often, let's put it that way, politically motivated, especially in the United States. Right. Uh, so... I didn't, I wanted kind of unbiased information and so on and so forth. So I think a lot of people were asking this question, why is Putin now, after all these tensions, after all these talks, especially I would say, Ukraine kind of got started getting popular in the U.S. again as far as a discussion topic with the whole uh, collusion type talks were, yeah. and the quid pro quo stuff that Trump was actually uh, impeached over. Right. So they had the hearings where Trump was, you know, trying to say, well, you do this for me and I'll give you military aid right? Um, to the Ukrainian president, Zelensky. And he was wanting the dirt on the Bidens, quite frankly, for the, he knew he was going to be facing Biden in the 2020 general election and he wanted whatever information that he could get. Anyway, he could win, yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of the beginning of the tensions. However, Russia wanted, quite frankly, Trump to to win. I don't think that that's a secret, right? You know, at this point, you know, they were involved, as we even discussed in the first episode. A lot of those kind of QAnon accounts and things like that that were created online. A lot of those, they would you know trace down the IP addresses of where those were originating from. Some of those posts online, and and geographically, they were reporting back to Russia, right? As well, yeah. So there's this, and and this also happened with kind of the Facebook ad crackdown where they were going back to the origin of these posts and kind of why they've started to police this disinformation campaign, if you will, was all the gripes coming out of the 2016 election about, you know, fake news articles getting posted out there. Right. And, and bot folks, accounts. Yeah. And, and people like that. getting misled, which in turn infects and affects uh, general elections. Right. So, well, the power of social media is definitely underestimated. Absolutely. So kind of this is where Ukraine kind of started getting into the, the Americans' minds and topic and conversations. I think it, it got pretty hot during the annex of Crimea too, right? Like in 2010. It, it did. It was, again, but it was more of a news, news topic. And I personally, again, I feel like, you know, we were so busy in 2010 dealing with the midterm right. turnover. Um, that was kind of the pop of the Tea Party. 
Um, that was also us um, kind of beginning our involvement with things in Syria and, quite frankly, arming ISIS yeah. <laughs> and semi-creating Before them. that backfired. So, yeah. So, we, our interests, our issues, what we were doing, what we had going on was very spread thin. Let's put it that way. So, yes, that happened. Yes, it was reported on, but I don't think that America was as concerned. Right. It, I it, think it wasn't as a bunch of an issue, I guess. You know. No, saying? and then you also have to, again, think we're 10 years further along plus now since that event and how more people have smartphones and more people have social media and more people are reporting on real-life events and live streaming mm-hmm. and the advents of that technology. Right. So... Maybe what was small back then, but from our perspective in a news story, uh, is now, you know, something oh, that we can easily see. It's right. it's at the it's, top of the feed, if you will. It's like so. the most recorded military conflict, I think, ever in history so far. Yeah. So kind of, again, moving. I, so I asked the question that I'm sure everybody asked at least at some point. Why is it this heated? Why is this going on? Why are we having to do this right now? Why is all of this threat of America getting involved? And it's kind of, just to put it in a very simplistic sense to start, it's more about Putin making demands. He wants to, well, he he romanticizes the time of the USSR. Right. So, you know, he wants the Soviet Union to come back. He called the biggest tragedy of the 20th century the fall of the USSR, you know. So it's – he wants to get back to that. So he wants to bring those countries, those properties back into the fold and under his, well, dictatorship, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, call it what it is. So He's really, been in power for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, and they have quote-unquote lawful elections there, but mysteriously the opposing parties, well, they end up in jail and poisoned to death. Yeah. And so, you know, in our, you know notice our sarcasm here about our, our – our, it's just a mystery. It's a mystery, you know. It, I, it wasn't planned. Uh, Putin didn't do it right. So right. at least that's what he's saying in the public. But, you know, there's this – romanticism with poisoning people but from russia it's like if you oppose russia you always end up poison yeah (laughs) so anywho um but you know so i decided to kind of go to the internet let's let's find out beyond just that the talking points putin being mad about nato and hey in theory nato was created to combat the, the cold war right essentially you know all of these folks got together, these Western countries, and basically said, simplistically, we, we, got, we got your back. Especially, you know, something develops with Russia, that sort of thing. Right. So they were the, All the tensions, right. Right. They were outside of the clique. So the, as the, the Soviet Union broke up and fell, those countries, as they've gotten their sovereignty, if you will, had begun to join the European Union as well as NATO. So that has also created a strain with Putin because Putin feels entitled to have their allegiances. Also, there's a lot of, I'm not going to say completely false flag governments there, but they're puppets in a lot of those countries, especially the ones that are closer in physical proximity to Russia. They are Russian implanted agencies still yet so that's how strong that that those bonds those ties are 
that has created the issue and these tensions and these relationships and how they get fractured and, and Putin gets so moody that NATO starts moving in or the European Union starts moving in, he loses his grip on everything. Right. He doesn't control what happens. It's a power so, grab. Exactly. So, you know, Putin made in whatever demands he did it initially. So I, I just felt like there was more to the story. Oh, yeah. Me and you Had talked to about be. before the episode. I've, I really feel like everything we're talking about is relevant to why Russia is doing what it's doing in Ukraine. But I also think it's like a personal legacy thing. Like... You know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. I think Putin realizes he's getting older and he's been in power for 20 years. And I also think he, he just feels like it's the time to put up or shut up. You know what I mean? For sure. And, yeah, I just, I I hope the way that we're approaching it doesn't make it worse. Because he seems very narcissistic. He? He, oh, he is very, <laughs> very much so. I guess, I mean, really, he's lived his entire life as a member of the military. Right. Um. He's got a very, I don't want to say limited worldview, but hey, a guy is into invading out of the countries. He's just got to have some <laughs> issue up there, right? So um, he's just a really different guy. And ego yeah, is definitely a driving factor. Like, that's a thing I've noticed. Like, when I've watched Putin in the past growing up, he's always been, like, cool, calculated. And it seems like the last couple of interviews with him, it's been really, like, yeah. hard and brash. Yeah. And, definitely. You know, just more off the rails and right. not as calm and as collected and, and thought thought out. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. it's, it's a different situation anyway. Yeah, his disposition seemed uh, a lot more professional next to Trump. I will say that, though. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so I did a little bit of research on the Ukrainian people, and it looks like in the Ukraine specifically, um, they are sitting on a gold mine of items. <laughs> That make them very financially independent from Russia. So actually, um, you know, geographically, the Ukraine is the second largest country in the by area that is in Europe, and it is considered a European country. It's got over forty million people in it. Check out these stats that I found. First in Europe in proven recoverable. Res uh, reserves of uranium ores. Oh, okay. okay. So second okay. place in Europe and 10th place in the world in terms of titanium ores. <sighs> second place in the world in terms of explored reserves of magnes ores. Huh. And then second largest iron ore reserves <laughs> in the world. Second place in Europe in terms of mercury ore reserves. Holy third place in Europe in shale gas reserves. 13th in the world. Fourth in the world by the total value of natural resources. Wow. Fourth, the Ukraine. I would have never known that. Not fourth in the world. Yeah. I would have never said fourth. Seventh place in the world in coal reserves. Ukraine is important agriculturally. Um, so first in Europe in terms of arable land area, third place in the world of all black soil, 25% of the world's volume come out of that. Wow. Comes out of that. 
25% of the entire Black world's soil. volume. That's crazy. Yeah. First place in the world in exports of sunflower and sunflower oil. Second place in the world in barley production. Fourth place in barley exports. Third place, or third largest producer, that is, and fourth largest exporter of corn in the world. Fourth largest producer of potatoes in the world. Fifth largest of rye. Fifth place in the world in bee production. Wow. Uh, eighth place in the world in wheat exports. Ninth place in the world in production of chicken eggs. 16th place in the world of uh, cheese exports. And the Ukraine can actually meet the food needs of 600 million people. There's only 40 million people in the country. Right. So that's yeah, almost a billion. Right. right? I mean, yeah. So over half a billion. So, so God damn it, people, they're important. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they, Europe's got the second um, in the world's fourth largest natural gas pipeline. Uh, in the Ukraine, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, is that not impressive? That I didn't even read the whole list. Right, there's several other. You have yeah, exports of an industry, industry um, clay, titanium, so on and so forth. These guys are literally in the top, you know, ten or so in everything. So why is it so? appealing to putin then all right yeah there you go there's all like there's like i said there's all different kind of elements but i mean obviously when you look at these statistics you can see that there's other motives other than just i guess specifically his own interest too i guess he's kind of you know you know that russia's considering this and going along with putin's ideas you know has what I mean? to right has to it Third largest in iron export, fourth largest in nuclear power plants, exporter of turbines, four, excuse me. Uh, Fourth largest manufacturer of rocket launchers. I mean, okay, Uh, what's Russia been doing? Stockpiling weapons. Mm -hmm. They actually have technically the biggest nuclear arsenal. In the world. Do they now? Yeah. It's bigger than ours now? Yeah, because Putin's, that's all he's been doing. He's building nukes, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I find that funny. Somebody who's all about the military, his entire career is the military, and the ineptness of this invasion on so many levels. Right. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about that before we got on the podcast. Josh, you want to rattle some off for us? Um, people... Are Ukrainian citizen defense citizens that are joining the defense forces of, have been capturing tanks and other vehicles from the convoys, and they're founding, finding MREs that may be five right. to seven years old. Just because the Russian military haven't had hasn't had the financing to actually buy new MREs, or you know they're too cheap to actually provide their soldiers with right, you know, adequate food. Yeah, so there's expired food, uh, they're having communications issues, they're running out of gas, um, they're in some cases just like giving up because they're so disoriented, they're right. not used to the climate. Getting separated from their units. They have to actually drive on paved roads, they can't go off-road because the ground's too soft, it's not frozen or hard enough. So their their tanks are getting hung up and then in turn abandoned because they can't get them out. Well, I mean, there's just so much and, going wrong, and the Ukraine is such a smaller nation as well as army, but they're actually in many cases with uh, 
RPGs over their shoulders going and taking out tanks right. in the middle of town. Molotov Cocktails. There's a brewery that started manufacturing Molotov Cocktails. Like, they are doing very well for a country that was supposed to just fall theoretically over. fall right over as soon as right. Putin started marching in. And, I, and you know it's frustrating him to no end. It's embarrassing him at the very least. This is not going as well as he intended or planned. And that's when you get into that situation that me and you talked about where, you know, does he do something brash because he feels like embarrassed embarrassed and that he doesn't feel powerful or he doesn't feel like it feels like the world's laughing at him. And, you know, the, the, the hits to the economy. I mean, you're getting into a cornered rat situation there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, also Putin in some of these states of addresses, if you will, that he's been trying to give in um, with his ultimatums and what have you, he's made a lot of allusions to the fact that the Ukrainian people are Russian people. Uh, when it comes to an ethnic context and what folks identify as over there and the breakdowns of that, I actually have some demographics for us. Um, obviously, it shares a border with Russia, so it's not uncommon in the sense, just like here in America, you're going to see a lot of folks that are of Mexican descent, if you will. Um, a lot of Mexican-Americans even live in America. Um, you know, we, that's a country that's close to us in physical proximity. We share a border. Right. The same thing goes with Canada. You know, there's a lot of Canadians that we see, um, you know, relative to Russians or perhaps Chinese folks or Japanese folks. Again, because we share a border there. Right. Um, so you got you got to keep this in mind. Ukraine shares the border there uh, with Russia as well as many other European countries. So um, here's the breakdown of ethnic uh, demo. It's sixty seven point five percent Ukrainian, actually twenty nine point five Russian. Uh, Crimean Tartar is point five percent, and then uh, Moldavian is point three percent. So the I don't want to say funny. Um, aspect of this is Crimea is a region of Ukraine uh, that historically has been uh, attacked, civil war, just a lot of unrest there in particular because of the ever-expanding back and forth, if you will, swelling and, un- and shrinking of Russia, uh, Prussia, uh, whatever the different incarnations have been over the years, if you will, the USSR, so on and so forth. A lot of unrest there. And what also happened was is there was a movement to move all of the Crimean Tartar uh, natives out and into another country. Um, so I'm going to kind of hit some of this stuff thematically there in, Ru- in the Ukraine in particular to kind of spell out some of the uh, issues and how far they go back with Russia in particular. And that's why this is almost, and we made these uh, allusions earlier in our personal conversation, the situation is... Uh, oddly very much in tune and in line with almost kind of the issues that are going on between Israel and Palestine as well. Right. Uh, A lot of the same folks ethnically um, mixed in, if you will, in their demographics as far as population is concerned. And and the Palestinian borders have started to shrink and and the Israeli borders have gotten bigger and bigger. Uh, This is exactly what Russia is trying to do in its ambitions to move more westward and hold your breath because china might be doing the same thing with taiwan absolutely but the china taiwan thing has been an ongoing right, thing right. as well That's, in many respects yeah, yeah. and that is actually kind of a self-created issue by us because after we defeated the japanese 
who had control of Taiwan at the time, we gave it back to China. Right. Or we gave it to China, I should say. Yeah. There was, uh, you know, China has been, had so many civil wars and different empires, right. you know, in charge there. But yeah, so it's been under Chinese rule since I believe 1945 specifically, as far as a year. So getting back to the Ukraine, also there's a number though that I saw where I I believe that this was taken from a census, the original numbers that I gave you. So, uh, but I don't know how far back that goes, but I saw a more recent reported number of 17% of the country is actually ethnically Russian now. Uh, so that's a more accurate number, I believe, based off of that census number that I got previously. So let me uh, drop real quick that uh, I did, as far as news sources were concerned, uh, Sky News, I tried to pick some different people this time again to show some variety. Sky News, Vox, Political, ABC, NBC News, as well as NPR is where I got this information from. So you can cross-reference me. I'm sure I'm going to say something incorrectly because there's a lot of countries and people involved that aren't in America and they're not names that we say every day or, or areas that we talk about. So just get a little disclaimer on that as well. So another interesting fact is Ukraine actually means borderland. Yeah. The the nation's name, you know, kind of just adds to this the whole border issue and Russia trying to move. Um, and ironic. Uh, Russia actually had victory uh, in Potavia in seven, uh, 1709. And this is kind of where the Ukraine part of this gets into the Russian Empire. Over the 18th and 19th centuries, Russia pretty much occupied the Ukraine. Um, and I'm, I'm jumping around. I'm not giving you the, the I'm just giving you bullet points. I'm not going to get in the weeds on this. So I just want to, historically, you'll notice why that this is so deep-seated. 1917, the Russian Revolution, it actually brought down the empire and the Ukraine gained individuality from Russia. This was from 1917 to 1921. So just only four years of independence, but they did have it uh, back then. Uh, unfortunately, this led to a lot of unrest. There was uh, four factions in particular that were in civil war, um, and this resulted in 1.5 million deaths. Um, so obviously that, that wasn't a good time. Uh, 1921, the uh, Ukraine was taken back over um, and integrated into the Soviet Union. Uh, in... And so communist regimes were installed at that point. So now we're reaching that timeline I mentioned earlier where the Crimean people were actually moved out um, and it was extra, you know, they had the ethnic cleansing of the Tartar folks in particular. Um, so in 1932 to 1933, uh, 10 million Ukrainians actually were starved to death because of agricultural policies implemented by Stalin, which is pretty, you know, that's a pretty common thing that happened in the USSR. There's a lot of starvation um, and really crippled the country in and of itself. And, and some of it was very calculated and intended um, what, it, you know, ultimately they were freezing people out essentially to make sure that their resources and supplies lasted enough. Um, so in a way they were almost participating in genocide in some respects. Right. Um, so um, 1949, NATO was made up to combat the spread of communism, essentially. Okay, so here's back to that NATO talk we were talking about earlier that is such an issue with uh, the Russian folks in power. The fall of the Soviet Union, of course, that created uh, a little bit of a vacuum and, and, and a power vacuum for Russia in and of itself in the sense that they had 
this broke this uh, that area that geographical area into 15 different individual countries including russia um so obviously ukraine is one of those 15 i'm mentioning here now um meanwhile while most of um, a lot of these countries individual countries with the exception of russia have obviously were trying to either get into the european union or into nato um that increasingly created strains between russia and those former occupations of their country uh, in 1994 in particular the ukraine became a part a nato partner still not a member but they had agreements in place uh, in 2013 the ukraine reached an association agreement with the european union so there's that other entity we're talking about uh, so again this created a strain uh, however um, the implanted uh, forces there uh, which their president at the time was essentially a puppet of Putin, uh, doubled back on that association agreement and then went back into the Russian influence uh, and made trade pacts with Putin in particular at the 11th hour of this agreement. Uh, the Ukrainian folks then um, were upset by this bait and switch, essentially, so that created a lot of unrest in the streets. People were getting out and protesting this uh essentially puppet government that was in, in place and answering to Putin and going against the people's wish, wishes. Uh, they were supposed to be an independent nation, a democratic society with the ability to vote for their leadership. So then a uh, hundred people are killed in these demonstrations. So these, and they were peaceful. So this sparked more outrage and more protests and more civil unrest that actually got increasingly more violent. So they overthrew the president the and he fled. <laughs> yeah, and then he fled to Russia. So Putin takes this opportunity and this unrest to go in and take over the Crimean Peninsula. So that here we are again. So the Crimea area is actually, even though it's a part of the Ukraine, it is occupied by Russia right now and trying to create its own sovereignty, if you will. The Donbass uh, regions and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and I might be enunciating these incorrectly or pronouncing them correctly, but there's also two other uh, provinces within the Ukraine that uh, Putin has went into and in trying to declare them as sovereign Russian-backed separatist regions now. So that's Donetsk and uh, it's I think it's Luganinsk, or uh, maybe I'm mispronouncing that. But anyways, they are to the extreme east of the Ukraine and, and bordering Russia. So, again, phys physical proximity pushing west, if you will. So, and, and as you see, these dates are starting to get closer together here. And, and listen, there's plenty of other things that probably happen politically that I'm not hitting on, but these are kind of the bullet points to this current conflict, if you will. This continued to over eight years of infighting, uh, 14,000 people being killed and too many peop 2 million people uh, being displaced. Um, being in November of 2021, or beginning of November 2021, that's where Putin started to start stockpiling military supplies at borders. Um, he had uh, eventually 100,000 troops um, increasing into January of 2022 at the Ukrainian-Russian border. Um, although Putin publicly kept denying any intent to invade. So finally, in mid-February... That's when Putin made revealed his plans and his desires to do what he did. A special military operation. Right. And so that's where 
Putin uh, made his reasons, obviously being NATO again publicly, saying, you know, NATO needs to move out of these countries. It needs to back its borders back to the original border of 1997. <laughs> the Minsk agreements. So he wanted things to go back that far. All right, so Russia, meanwhile, began conducting military drills in Belarus near the Ukraine border. Uh, finally, Putin revealed his true plan on February 21st, claiming that he was liberating uh, Donetsk and uh, Lugansk um, as peacekeeping missions. That's why he's calling them peacekeeping missions. Right, and going back to, you know, um, disillusioned Russian soldiers that are trying to get back to Russia. They're getting separated from their units and stuff. I've seen a lot of videos, too, coming in where a lot of them were under the impression that they were going on a peacekeeping mission into the Ukraine. Right, but they... They weren't fully aware that it was like a... I'm not saying that, I mean, anybody can say anything when you're a prisoner of war, you know what I'm saying? But a lot of the videos that I have seen, Russians are, Russian because soldiers Russia are controls the media there. Right, right. Um, you know, that's, they were taking down the Facebook posts in, uh, of the, you know, demonstrations in St. Petersburg in particular. Right. They literally control what's put up and not put up on Facebook in their country, just like China does. In yeah. that regards, like all of social media runs through the government. They control the narrative. They control the news. You know, again, it's a communist uh, regime there. Uh, and Putin operates like a dictator. It's more of an autocracy that takes place there, right. you know. Right. Um, so Ukraine called for a state of emergency on the 23rd of February, uh, of course, having been you know, attacked, <laughs> essentially. Right. Uh, Zelensky made appeals directly to the Russian people in particular. Now, I, I'm not quite sure how well they control television signals and waves. You know, is it cut off at the border? You know, so I'm sure Zelensky's message did get through to some people, but it's not the majority of the nation by any means. So February 24th, Putin launches his full-scale invasion. Anti-war press protests have broken out, uh, as we mentioned, not only in St. Petersburg, but worldwide. Um, so, you know, obviously the Ukraine's getting a lot of moral support, um, but beyond that, they are getting financial support, they're getting, um, you know, weaponry, they are getting um, troops to the area as well. Um, Putin does control the world's largest arsenal of nuclear weapons. You know, it is threatening nuclear retaliation, so that's a lot of the reason for the concern and so much time spent in the State of the Union address talking about them. Uh, the world has imposed sanctions on Russia. Businesses are cutting ties with them, as we mentioned earlier, in the kind of the forefront of the conversation, creating financial hardship and peril in the country. Right. Um, the citizens themselves are in unrest on account of it as well. So Putin's facing kind of he's he's facing his world embarrassment in the sense that his military is not operating at the capacity at which and the efficiency that he expected, and then secondarily, uh, at home. As people are dissatisfied with the invasion well, as well. Well, how long can they hold out? I mean, I think the ruble the last time I checked was worth like four cents. Uh, it's actually, I think I just saw a report. It was either this morning or yesterday morning when I first woke up that said it was all the way down to a penny. Right. And then I've also seen like um, a lot of Russian citizens are, I guess, trying to go into the crypto market. But with all the, the SWIFT bank or well, just with all the all the different sanctions, it's making it very difficult to move money around even in the crypto game. Right. And uh, the, as I mentioned, the Russian military action has been lackluster. Um, you know, they've, they've started to resort to shelling heavily civilian areas now. 
I mean, they just took out a Holocaust muse museum, and a lot of folks don't realize there's a lot of uh, Jewish people. Um, Zelensky himself, his grandfather was in the Holocaust, survived the Holocaust. You know, there's a lot of Jewish people in the Ukraine in particular. Uh, so I don't know that it's a really good look to shell a Holocaust museum. I'm just, I'm just saying. Well, just breaking any kind of... You know what I mean? Like, well, they're moving into civilian areas. So, right. You know, You're making a humanitarian crisis more than absolutely. a military action. Or political even. Right, yeah. right. It's ridiculous. You know? um, Zelensky has stated multiple times, especially recently, uh, you know, I even saw an interview with him this morning where he was given a, a press junket basically in a bomb shelter. And he stated that he he need he wants to speak to Putin and then they kind of, and Putin's been ghosting him right um and the reporters i guess tried to hammer down on f further but he made it clear that it's not a matter of him wanting to speak to Putin he has to talk to Putin right that's the only thing you know conversations with Putin's the only thing that's going to stop this pointless and senseless war that continues so um obviously in this to get back to the state of the union address now I think that kind of puts things into perspective as to why this is so important. Right. Why not only Russia is being involved, but everybody else has an interest in what's going on in Ukraine. Just beyond, don't get me wrong, the humanitarian aspect should be at the forefront of this conversation. But unfortunately, that's not always how governments work. Right. It's, what have you done for me lately? What can you do for me? It's interest, right. So with all these resources being in the Ukraine... I think everybody finds it to be more of a benefit to them to remain in the European Union as well. So I think that there's motivations beyond just the humanitarian aspect of things that are obviously playing out here. Not only in just Europe, but over even further west, even to the United States. Well, and it's just how long do you let Putin do, do what he wants um, without a response? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so as part of some of the a actions and sanctions that the United States is putting on Russia, they have refused to buy Russian oil now. Right. So, and I believe I saw a figure that that makes up actually 3% of what the U.S. purchases, but the fact that we're also purchasing oil from reserves uh, throughout Europe and tapping into our own reserves, that inflates the cost of gas still yet. So I know, like, it jumped at least 50 cents or so in the last 48 hours. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, it, like, today it cost me $65 to fill up my Jeep. And that was almost insane. 18 gallons. Yeah. yeah so... That's and that's just regular unleaded. I don't put anything fancy in my vehicle. So right. that that right tell you that I mean it's obviously hitting pockets. Oh, and that's here. So imagine that's, like what yeah. it is on the coast or or anything. Yeah, like there's that. other. I mean, theoretically, in the past, it it has been cheaper on the coast because it's near port ports and where they bring in oil. Um, but it, it all they they also do the same thing in the oil game. Demand. Quite frankly, yes, yeah. it's supply and demand. They employed yield Gouch. management ta tactics. It's what can they get away with charging you in a given area as well. Right. Uh, I know all about that being in the hospitality industry. They've employed those tactics for the last 20-plus years pretty aggressively in that industry. Um, same thing happens, you know, elsewhere. So the price of gas goes up. It increases the prices of everything else. So, again, we've fought wars over oil before, obviously. You know, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you, you can't go the without Kuwait mentioning. Situation. Yeah. Right. You can't go without mentioning that, you know, we had planes flying into the towers. But how is it that, you know, the majority of those folks are Saudi Arabian, like 90% of them. And we ended up in Afghanistan. And we ended up in Afghanistan and Iraq, <laughs> right? So it makes all the perfect sense in the world. I can totally see how that makes sense. So, um, so anywho. So this kind of led a Biden State of the Union address back into 
talks about the economy and how many jobs it's created and how the economy's grown and how much by percentages and so on and so forth. And that's great. And yes, those numbers are accurate, but you also have to look how much have we lost comparatively. A more accurate number is to look at things pre-pandemic. Right. You know. Where were we before the start of the pandemic? These jobs might have grown in a year, yes. And he might have increased these jobs in his presidency. And look, I don't defend Trump. I don't, I'm not, I'm not happy about defending Trump in any sort of way, but you, you have to know that the pandemic affected the numbers. There's literally places that were sheltering in place. Businesses were shut down. Businesses still aren't recuperating from it. Um, and as far as the bounce back is concerned, a lot of people left jobs that aren't returning to jobs. That's a big part of the pro- problem. So the workforce is down. Right. Um, and, but also people are taking a stand, and there's certainly a, a, a faction of this movement going on that they're not going to work for minimum wage anymore. Right. It, so they have to have a living wage. People have to have a living wage. You, I mean, it's it's just right. And I don't blame people. I don't I don't I don't blame this movement at all. So the you know people not in the workforce, you know, a part of what a Biden's plan is and he did campaign on this and he is trying to get it done, I guess, is to move the minimum wage to $15 an hour. That's great. Um, but it's it's just not the only solution to this problem. And not that I agree. You know, our federal minimum wage is, you know, I think it's still seven stagnant. Seven, yeah, seven sixty five or something obscene like that. It's under eight dollars an hour. You know, there's there's no reason for that. And they're leaving a lot of states to their own, um, you know, interests, if you will, in making those decisions. Well, you know, there's a state minimum wage, so Missouri's is higher than that, fortunately. Um, but I still don't consider it to be a livable, you know, wage no. either. No. You know, we're at uh, eleven fifteen, I believe it is right now. Uh, a lot of even you know you can start at McDonald's right now with over thirteen dollars an hour. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know so and good. Those people deserve it. You know. Um, so you know fifteen is not going to be. I can even see that. You know, and and again you have to take into consideration cost of living. So again, uh, my my long point here again, and I I said it more toward the beginning of this particular discussion topic. It's not the be-all, end-all to these to this issues that's going on with us um, financially. You add inflation to that that's going on right now, uh, the increasing price of oil. Uh, it's going to be hard to continue those numbers of success uh, economically. Speaking of economically, I also saw as, back to Russia that they lost uh, over 300 points in the stock market oh, uh, yeah. within a 24-hour period as well as a part of the sanctions having direct impact on them. But, you know, the tactics there, my my marginal concern is, of course, and I, a lot of European countries as well, and that's why this takes this joint decision, and this relates back to the finances, is the sanctions that they're enforcing, um, they certainly have an immediate hit, uh, a sticker bump, if you will, on prices of things. But where is this going to look in the long term? So that's why there needs to be domestic decisions made and, and, and a part of Biden's uh, State of the Union address is that oh, we're going to buy American, we're going to build American. Um, so he's really tallying his infrastructure improvement deals. And it does need to happen. Well, yeah, and the clean energy movement and stuff like that with electric cars and trying to we get need away to be from more, fossil more fuels. energy independent. Right. Absolutely. We, there's a lot of fucked up roads. <laughs> oh, dude! And this, you know, country. There's a lot of bridges that are in, re- Our infrastructure in need of repair. In shambles, and it's it's really pathetic. And a lot of them, and that is American. That's easy American dollars, you know. And a lot of that gets 
outsourced to like state, you know, for those funds also get turned into state transit departments so like MoDOT and, and those entities for us more, you know, here right. on the ground level. It's like grants and um, stuff like that. Yeah. And, and funds to go into county developments of roads and so on and so forth. And then a part of uh, the demands, and they've been saying this for years, though, they've been saying this for 20 years, expanding Internet access. And it's always a discussion topic, but you never hear anything about them doing anything to it's always drastically private businesses. It. It's pr- it's exactly right. It's, it's private Elon businesses Musk with Starlink and stuff yeah. like that. It's AT and T with pull and fiber. It's right. Charter with Spectrum right. with pull and fiber. It's a private industry. You know, it's it's these private industries that are getting, but they're also getting dig rights and things expedited. So there is some government assistance in that regard. Um, but you know, again, just another factor. I, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm I do like the capitalistic aspects of our economy and, and things of that. If it, if it worked but for everybody. <laughs> that's the problem. It doesn't work for everybody. You know, the, the privileged, unfortunately, get to take, have uh, a disposition for success in, in those environments, if you will. Right. So, you know, again, back to the State of the Union, I, I honestly felt like, and again, I, I'm i not saying this is any, well, I mean, he, he, he does need some props, Biden. He's more moderate and i know a lot of republicans always oh, liberal and no oh, he's way to the left but it's, uh, it's really honestly he's more he's way more moderate you don't stay 40 years in right you know the united states government I'm without having for, some moderate viewpoints for an example like in the state of the union he was talking about funding the police not defunding the police right you would never hear standing ovation from all you would never hear like a bernie even, sanders as a president saying right that that's you know, just an your example. QAnon quacks that were in the crowd, you know, your Lauren uh, yeah. Boybarts or whatever the current name <laughs> is from Colorado and our crazy Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia. Yeah, they were yelling at Biden too when Hecklers. he was, Yeah, they were well, they were the only people that really had and there was a few boos in there, but I was expecting a lot worse. I really was. I right. would say that there was almost unanimous support for 70% of the speech. Um, there was, you know, some disenchantments, I'd say about 20%. And then in the small 10%, I'll delve into more of the more extreme parts of the Republican Party that weren't very supportive of what was being done or said. Of course, uh, famous Mitch McConnell, the emotionless turtle that and soul-sucking parasite that he is, uh, was just sitting in the, in the crowd with essentially no response to anything. The turtle cameras man. cut to him many times. I actually watched the Fox News feed with intent. Yeah, just to um, see to kind of see how things would be positioned from an opposition viewpoint. But there wasn't really a lot. I mean, they really tried to hammer on negatives. And I'm going to be very critical of Biden right now. And that mostly discusses the topics that he he discussed. But where he really got heckled by, um, I guess I'll finish making this point, the QAnon ladies was when he started talking about burn pits and then the uh, Bobart lady was screaming about 13 dead soldiers and she was literally being booed by a majority of the participants right. at the State of the Union, the in-person gatherers. So, uh, you know, they it was in poor taste, especially the timing couldn't have worked out worse for her <laughs> because he was literally talking about his son dying from cancer for being speculatively, I guess, over burn pits and things of that nature and all the diseases that are being... Um, you know, now found years later, you know, it's kind of, again, this goes back to the 9-11 talk, but a lot of the first responders ended up with, 
cancers and lung diseases and they're dealing with physical ailments and complications. And a lot of the people, those first responders it's, are dead now. It's hard to fathom that there is th- these people represent a demographic in the United States. Oh, you know I what know I mean? Like, yeah. I just, it's I beyond know. me that in 2022 we even have anything like that. But you know, it's, it's a crazy world. So. But I was, I was surprised by what I felt like was, you know, largely unison. Now again, back to my criticisms, Biden was gaff filled lost his place, lost his direction, Um, you know, just as I always look at politics as I try to look at it from a very topical sense. Okay, I know people's political motivations. I can suspect where they're going to toe the party line, where they're going to try to appeal across the aisle to get some interest as well. But really, where these conversations are going to go, I try to look at it, is it going to appeal to the masses? And if not, um, you know, it's not a successful State of the Union address. Well, thematically, maybe it did in, in the perception, but whenever you're up there and you can't keep a you know, comprehensive thought or coherent thought or a logical thought, right. you know, you lose your and place, you're, you're stumbling on your words. Right. He, you know, he's always had a knack for having gaffes here or there, but, you know, he still stayed on beat, right. if you will, well, in yeah. the past. He seemed like he had a lot more fire in him, though, and, in the State of the Union than previous speeches about the Ukraine situation. Yeah, They're towards the end. Definitely. You a little know, bit more theatrical. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely a little bit more impassioned whenever he was talking about it. But, I mean, within the first five minutes, he was stumbling over his words. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not a very good uh, It's not a good look for us as a country. Strength. Just to kind of wrap up the State of the Union for the most part, I mean, if I give it an overall grade, I can't say that I give it anything stronger than a C-. minus. Yeah. But most grade. of the success is due to the largely bipartisan support uh, in the speech in and of itself. And then secondarily, um, you know, the fact that thematically at least some of the, the plans and desires and the map that he laid out seems like good things moving in the right direction. However, the representation of the speech, you know, to you, you I, I know it sounds simplistic, but you have to have a, an appealing level of charisma. You have to have public speaking skills. You have to be, uh, you know, coherent. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, the... Especially when really, you're in a position of power. When he gets I mean? up and gives a performance like that, I, again, I'm not trying to defend Trump here, but the Sleepy Joe comments, I mean, he's not, you know, it's, it's what it looks like on the surface. <laughs> and I, if I was Putin, I wouldn't be too intimidated by him in particular, you know, so... Um, but, um, you know, that's just kind of the summary of the state of the union business. I think uh, we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to hop on to some sports talk. Oh, so yeah. Stick around.
quickly is to start a sports segment off. It's uh, have a, uh, give a little update about uh, the WWE event that I went to. So I, I was lucky enough to go to the Royal Rumble. Oh yeah, that looked and, awesome. Um, the big you and Arlo I'm a had big, tons of fun. I'm a big pro wrestling fan, and we can get in the weeds about that on its own separate <laughs> episode. I don't want to eat up too much time with this, but kind of the big news story that coming out of the Royal Rumble actually was the fact that the WrestleMania sign caught on fire, and uh, was like literally like molten lava landing on people down in the floor section like oh right in front God. of me and it wasn't being like really widely reported but right. like uh, all the internet wrestling community people picked it up because fans were taking videos and posting them online all right the other big problem i had the there secret. was the the lighting the lighting was like with the section we got into it was like deceptive on how they were going to lay out the flooring and stuff like whenever you went to purchase tickets but tickets dropped in price drastically like i got tickets that were being marketed for like 800 bucks for 100 dollars a piece oh wow and and I was a little dissatisfied for what I paid still yet, even though I understand it was very, very much. I was just like a few rows away from sitting down on the floor next to the yeah, ringside. That's so, a pretty cool experience. You know, and that's the second biggest wrestling pay-per-view there is a year or so. Yeah. And it's just, it's always been a childhood dream of mine to go to a wrestling pay-per-view. I'd never been to one in person. I was able to take my son, who's only five, and he had the greatest <laughs> time of his life, and it was the greatest time... <laughs> That's and something you'll never forget. Dissatisfaction right? of it, yeah. His enjoyment that he got of it was, it may I like I'm like sitting here right now and I could start crying about it. It's it yeah. had that much of an impact on yeah. me. Yeah, How much lifelong memory, it. right? So, but yeah, kind of the wild thing that actually happened that I'm giving some, some semi some you know a firsthand account witness here. Yes, the WrestleMania sign did catch on fire and it was it was landing on people and they were giving people care packages and moving them up and trying to get Jesus. them to sign waivers and shit not to sue them Jesus. and giving them tickets to future. Yeah, that. it was fucked. That's but. wild. So not only did it catch on fire once, it caught on fire twice. So they you know took it take it out with the extinguishers the first time, put it back up. And then Brock Lesnar wins the Royal Rumble for the men's, and they decide to set the fucking sign off again. Like, that seems like an inherently bad idea. Yeah, you burn it down once. Uh, I mean... Uh, he said burn it down, like Seth Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anywho. But yeah, so that was, uh, again, a first-hand account here. It was fucked it. And we were, like, getting... I was kind of getting out in a small panic, but I didn't want Arlo to see it. So I, was like, picked him up and just, like, carried him, literally, from the stadium all the way to parking. I carried him for like a mile, like in like a mile or two, and like you know did the old school like uh, fast pace walk, trying to get away from the building. (laughs) Because I was like, I I do not want to be caught on fire inside of the fucking dome in St. Louis, a piece of trash building. (laughs) So, but anyways, I want to move on from that real quickly, and I think this is going to take quite a bit of our time in the sports segment. Is talking about baseball. Looking like we might not have MLB this year. I swear, if Manfred ruins Yadier Molina. And Adam Wainwright's last season for me. Manfred has been historically unpopular with baseball fans across every team, every geographical facet of the United States. Nobody likes Manfred. He is He's uh, not a very pro fan commissioner. I mean He is a douchebag. We'll just <laughs> we'll call it like it is. Uh he very, he what did he do to the Astros? Like what what punishments did they receive for actively cheating like creating signals, signals, calling pitches, like cheating, literally won a championship. Um, the same you know, year they're called cheating. Yeah. Right? Then yeah, they win the same series. Year, yeah. Same year. Yep. They won the World Series. And, uh, you know, I mean, so that right there should have told you his decision making as it is. And 
I really got to do more research on this, but how the fuck did we overthrow the baseball commissioner? Because this has got to happen like yesterday. Right, yeah. And um, so the self-imposed deadline by the MLB, the, the Players Association wasn't able to come to agreement with the MLB, and therefore they went into lockout. And everybody's fully prepared to go the entire season without any games. So now it's looking like, and the Cardinals are St. Louis. The Cardinals are a huge economic driver for the entire state. Um, we were watching local news, and they ended up uh, they they were doing interviews, and they that businesses were just saying we cannot survive without the Cardinals, and that's true because it's 162 games a year. Right, it brings you know? so much business to downtown St. Louis area. Especially if you get into the playoffs, you're talking at least six months of commerce. That's half a year's worth of commerce, right. and as COVID numbers are falling, and um, you know restrictions are loosening up there's more events going to take place, more gatherings, more people are going to be turning out. This is the time to capitalize and rebound economically. And if we're not going to have the Cardinals, that's going to be devastating to our state and specifically St. Louis. Right. I agree. Yeah. I, I like, especially with the amount of bars and stuff like that, that are right there around the stadium and stuff. Yeah. I, I just don't know how they survive not having a, a season, you know, I, what I foresee happening perhaps because also the DeWitts aren't going to want that building to sit there and not make any money. So there's going to be other opportunities for rent while it's locked out. So. And I have noticed that they have done more with that, like having they concerts. Have, I saw and, Metallica there. Right. Yeah. And then they have the winter classic at Bush stadium. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, yeah, there's hopefully there's more opportunities for the DeWitts to bring some, some numbers into the well, stadium. I think what's going to happen and I could be wrong. This is purely speculative, but I don't know how you don't have you offset some of that with perhaps bringing some Memphis Cardinals games up here. I right. mean, they're owned by somebody else, but I'm sure the teams will jump at the opportunity if given, um, you know, Springfield in particular, you know, the double A team right. that geographically is not out of, you know, the realm of possibility. Maybe high school team some. championships or something. Yeah. Like, but I don't, I don't know what type of revenue that they receive from yeah, that's you know, that small. getting that right. small. I mean, even double A probably might not be enough, but there will be people clamoring to get out and do things again with restrictions loosening bad enough that I think that they could probably sell out Bush stadium. It, I know without question they can do it with a Memphis Redbird game, but I could see them doing it with a double A game. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you the know, baseball love in St. Louis, they don't call it baseball heaven for no reasons. <laughs> and we're and, and these are your opportunities to see the heroes of tomorrow, you know, the, the stars of tomorrow, you know, on the on the diamond. So So I was reading a little bit about, you know, some negotiations and stuff and I did see the big three points that the MLB is wanted to impose was the the new game rules was the, I guess the shift ban. They want to ban the yeah. shift. Um the global DH, which is the designated hitter position. Right. And I think they're pretty much in agreement on that, even though I think any fan I've talked to, it's not extremely popular, you know, uh, is having the DH across well, both leagues. I mean, it just, there's a strategic part of having a pitcher pitch and hit and deciding right. what to do with that pitcher in certain situations. That's it part makes of it baseball. more of a chess right. match. Yeah. Right, yeah. It, it's and not, the DH is new historically. If I feel like the MLB and Manfred's just trying to talk, turn it into a pitching and hitting league. Like it's just, you know, good pitchers and hard hitters. And They're trying to, but ERA number and those numbers are as good as they've been in a long time. I mean, right. A lot of that has to do with the baiting of PEDs or speculated as much. But right. Not just P, you know, PEDs is a, a broad term. We're not just talking steroids, but we're talking things like Adderall and stimulants. Right, and there's so all so kinds that's of been used performance enhancing drugs, right? Right. So, but yeah, I'm, 
I, I know that there's just a lot of rage around this right now, and the, the two sides couldn't be more apart. I know that there's players that are getting down, and uh, like DeYoung has been getting with Scherzer and some other people down in Florida, and they're, they're training. Um, so I, th I found that to be kind of interesting. So a lot of players are voluntarily getting together and still pre prepping for the season as if it's Arenado. And they, and they should. I've seen some more. Yeah, Arenado. And, yeah, he's been practicing, getting ready. So uh, they should, and this is about that time for spring training, anyways. So you know, and, and it. Hey, listen, anything could happen in this day and age. I think a, a, what a lot of people need right now are the escapes from these real world, real world uh, affairs, like we talked about in the open of the show. So sports are kind of imperative to folks escaping that everyday life. One well, like you talked about, like rebounding out of what is the pandemic. You know what right. I mean? This stuff is is it's it's a distraction for people. It's you know a way for people to enjoy something for once. You know, not just have all negativity. You know. Um, kind of moving on to another sports topic. Of course, we just had the Super Bowl a few weeks ago. Right. Fuck and, the Rams. Uh, yeah. Fuck the Rams. Totally with a fuck you, Stan Kroenke. Uh, obviously we all are very impartial, <laughs> partially, um, with this subject matter. So the Rams up and left us and it all had to do with a coup from the NFL to move them to LA to begin with so they could relaunch their brand and marketing in LA and have another headquarters 2.0. Uh, there was, the fix well, was in, the owners had their closed door meeting. It's interesting they... you say that because I was reading a Reddit theory that I think you'll enjoy. Um, there's a theory that this whole... Rams championship thing was set up by the league in, in an order to re in a way to re reimburse Stan Kroenke for his settlement payments to St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd heard speculation about that. <laughs> I mean, no one can say uh, that for sure, but you know, that's, there's definitely I, speculation there. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, they want the league is very square. Yeah. Their coach is amazing. I, yeah. I mean, I have to give credit where it's due. Sean McVay's like a savant. Like he can tell you what happened on any play of any game that Stafford. he's ever been in. Matthew Stafford. Um, yeah, Stafford. He, I mean, he wasn't he the carry it. of that game. He but got he, his he ass definitely handed to him for all those years. In this, yeah, Detroit with and OBJ. I his antics sometimes annoy me, and the fact that he's always like drama related in headlines, but. The talent deserves a ring. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like, so and Vaughn Miller, I'm a big fan. Right. The Broncos traded him away midseason. I'm not an anti-Rams player. I'm an anti-Rams organization. Organization, absolutely. <laughs> Ownership, um, everything, basically at the GM level and up. Yeah, I've got an issue with you know Les Snead. Um, all of them. He was. They were all in on it. Um, this move to LA and not giving a shit about St. Louis. And the big squabble, if everyone recalls, is allegedly um, we wouldn't build them a new stadium, but we ended up finding nearly $700 million to put toward a new stadium, which was plenty. Right. Uh, that was just taxpayer money. And, you know, traditionally owners put money behind that as well, um, but they often campaign to cities for them to pay for a new stadium. Seven hundred million in St. Louis is plenty, especially at that time. Yes, that was a substantial you're amount of money. Ten years ago, they were having these time. talks, right? Yeah, nearly. So again, you know this this whole thing is is totally fucked and asinine. Quite frankly, the fix was in to begin with, so we can't speak poorly enough of the Rams organization here. <laughs> so by de facto, we all became Bengals fans, but 
how could you not love the Bengals? They were kind of the underdog story. Oh, the, the John Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow. Or Joe back, Burrow. Yeah, yeah. his comeback year. He had his ACL torn last year. Oh, and it was like John. his first year. Yeah. And uh, you, you saw the talent in the first half of the season that he was in, but he tore his ACL. Or, or, and Kid's a natural-born leader. He's a leader. He's got a great attitude, great disposition. He's classic quarterback build, tall, lanky, good delivery, a um, lot of heart. Uh, the team just kind of rallied together when it mattered most here at the end of the season. And any game that they lost, I think, was, with the exception of two the entire year, was, was only within three points. Um, so there was just a lot of good things to say about the Bengals team. I hope, I mean, I hope they find a way to find success and maybe a cha- you know a championship while they have them and, and keep building on having good teams. Um, it was nice to see somebody different. You yeah, know, yeah, I, I have my dogs thing. on the hunt, don't get me wrong, just like anybody else, I'm a fan. Right. You know, I like the Steelers, I like the Packers, um, you know, and, and the Chiefs, and those are usually the three teams that I'm rooting for. And, you know, depending on who's playing for playing who, I'll root for one over the other. Um, but, you know, I didn't, I wasn't completely mad about the Bengals, you know, no. advancing to the Super Bowl. But the Rams was a different story. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I wasn't a big fan of the 49ers winning either because I'm such a Green Bay fan of the <laughs> NFC. Like, yeah. they, you know, they're my favorite team and there's a drop-off, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, so The field goals determining so many games is what was crazy this season. Yeah. There was a lot of close games like the I don't think I think that the expanded playoffs is not a success in the sense that there was the, all the initial playoff games either half of them were blowouts right and then the other half were decided by field goals yeah so a game being decided by a field goal doesn't make it very exciting in most instances. It depends, obviously, the right. execution up to that point. Right. Or how but close you get the into game a is, lot right. of these defensive battles. That's essentially just you know, like if you're playing chess, you're just trading pawns. Right. The whole, the whole game. And it's like the, it's yeah. boring. Right. right. So, um, so that's kind of my my gripes and moans with some of that. But uh, but the the. Big news, I guess, out of coming out of the season is Tom Brady's retirement, Big Ben's retirement. Tom Brady, as far as the stats are concerned, greatest ever to do it. There's really no, you know, complaint or it's argument for me. Relationship with Brady, it's for me. You know, I'm not personally a fan, but I respect him right. and his legacy. That's and where I stand. I with can't, him. I can't in good faith tell you that I'm a football fan and tell you that there's a better quarterback than Tom Brady. There isn't. Not of our time, for sure. No, and I, I it's hard to believe that the success will ever happen again. I don't know that it's possible. To his numbers and yeah, his statistics, I'm not. There sure. might be people, you know, phys- like as far as the physical tools concerned, like your Aaron Rodgers, if you will, your Patrick Mahomes, that are way more athletic, have way more potential. I, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been playing for over ten years, and he's only got one Super Bowl ring. Right. Matthew Stafford has as many Super Bowl rings as Aaron Rodgers now. You got to put that in perspective. Yeah. And you think about what Matthew Stafford's career record has been as a starter. Right. Now, granted. He was on shitty Detroit teams, and you know that makes a difference. And they right. were the, they had the first pick in the draft, the majority of it. I think it's astounding how many t- times have they been in the top three picks of the NFL draft in the last twenty years. I think also a big. Uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to give any credit to anybody other than Brady, but the Belichick Brady dynasty. Oh yeah, was just every incredible. championship that they had was both of them together with the ex, uh, you know. Uh, Except for the one Brady had outside of it in Tampa Bay, of course. But in his first year, mind you, and really the only thing that was different with that team was Brady coming there and Antonio Brown signed as a free agent. I think they got maybe, you know, a couple of... And then bringing Gronk back. They brought Gronk, (laughs) yeah, so that, don't get me wrong, that's a a difference maker. Uh, 
Speaking of Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers was the MVP again. Hey, um, Raj. So his fourth MVP. Um, and the only person that has more than him is Peyton Manning. Wow. I didn't know that's got five, so. Um, and he's the only player to win repeat uh, MVPs twice. I think Brett Favre is the other, and I might be um, missing some other folks. So um, There are a lot of free agents to be this season, so um, kind of the biggest and most notable, again, on the Green Bay talk is Devontae Adams. He's, without a doubt, probably the number one receiver in the league, I'd say. Um, but uh, also uh, Chris Goodwin from Tampa Bay, Von Miller, from who's on the Rams right now, Chandler Jones, the uh, edge rusher for Arizona, J.C. Jackson, one of the best corners in the league in New England. Um, we got Mike Williams, um, uh, the phenomenal wide receiver for the Chargers, and that quarterback there, Justin Herbert, needs a good receiver to remain successful, uh, who's one of the most promising talents in the league right now. Uh, Tyron Matthew, um, obviously, you know, KC safety, I think it's imperative that we keep him there. Um, so those are just to name a few. Uh, there's some additional names out there. Randall Gregory, Gregory, Allen Robinson, Odell Beckham Jr., Melvin Gordon, Akeem Hicks. So there's a lot of folks that are coming on the free agent market. So there'll be a lot of moving and shaking in the NFL. Yeah, really could change some teams up next year. And um, hockey, blues talk. Oh, man. Our so baby blues. We can't baby. forget the blues. And I think there's going to be a lot more attention on the blues now that the Cardinal season isn't starting up. And right. we'll keep eyes on that. Another thing that, you know, kind of ties in with the blues is the Ukrainian talk, too, because of how many Russian, you know, like with right. Tarasenko and right, his responses exactly right. to the Ukrainian situation and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, um, I, yeah, how can you not mention Jordan Cairo? Oh, dude. Breakout star, breakout season. Uh, he would have been the MVP of the All-Star game had um, the Central advanced into the finals. Did you see the skills um, competition? Skills competition. He would speed skating, wasn't it? Yeah, I think won? it was. He wasn't he the fastest skater yeah, or something yep, like that. Yep. Yeah, speed skating drill. He won. Um, he he was took involved. second like in the, sh- the shootout thing or whatever. Well, he... Uh, I know that he he ended up was being responsible for in the All Star game for the Central, in that last game that he played, he, he was responsible for four, I think it was four points. Wow, man! In that game, it's phenomenal. Yeah, credit breaking um, out. The um, Winter Classic this year, yeah, in Minnesota, he had five points. Yeah. He was involved in five five interactions uh, between goals and assists, um, and it was the MVP of that game. So this has been a breakout year for him. Uh, Tarasenko is starting to get back on track as well. Um, so, you know, the Blues can do no wrong. Uh, they're in relatively good standings right. uh, at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, I just look forward to them having a successful year and uh, really excited about the Blues. And the only – I hate to say there's any good about a baseball lockout, but maybe this gets more attention on the Blues in St. Louis and – People get a little bit more behind them, and our interests aren't so divided. Right. Yeah. So we'll just try to look for a silver lining here. Yeah, and also, you know, the um, I think the MLS coming to St. Louis is going to be pretty huge. Yeah, too, next year. coming years. So. Yep. Centene is uh, Centene, the main sponsor right. there. Yeah, yeah they just announced that. Them. They actually, um, I, I heard they were already hanging stuff on the stadium. Like yeah. the signage and stuff, so that's really cool. Good for Centene. Um, good, good way to support St. Louis in your local communities. Last so. spring, we went up to the um, aquatic 
area up there the first time we'd ever been to the aquarium in st louis that's like Union right Station. next to the stadium side yeah. right so they've got like a little carnival area set up off to the side where you can get onto the big ferris wheel now right and you can see the stadium development and at that point they had had like well over 70 percent of it constructed that's so cool so you know yeah they they're they're definitely on time for opening so i definitely want to go see some uh, st louis fc games heck yeah for sure that'd be a good time so um, that's going to actually conclude our sports talk today. So we're going to take a break and we're going to jump into this week in infamy, our, our fun little news segment. So I think this is going to be really inter- entertaining. So thanks for sticking around. We'll see you on the other side. sticking around so we're gonna do this week in infamy so the premise here again once again is josh has blindly picked out a news story um to cover me cover with me that's an absurd article that we just can't believe is real and uh we're gonna elaborate and discuss a little bit further so josh what um curveball are you hitting this with uh, the field like today? all right so um you guys may or may not know but there is this um um, this, I guess you want to call it, um, anti-mask mandate convoy that started off in Canada. I'm sure you yeah. guys have probably heard about it in the news, right? So that's, that's obviously, um, grabbed a lot of attention on the right side, you know, and, um, there's been a lot of reactions with it. A lot of people joining it. Um, I did find this specific so- story to fill you in on and share with you. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, it comes from the Huff Post, and actually, let's see, that's where I found this story, so that's my source for this. But anyway, um, basically, a 20-year-old suspect called in a bomb to a Ottawa police station in Canada trying to help out the con- or bomb threat, trying to help out the convoy. I guess he thought he was angry over mass mandates, and a good way to get back at the police who were enforcing the rules was to call in a bomb threat to the Ottawa Police Department. Come to find out, he actually called... Uh, an Ottawa, Ohio police department oh, bomb shit. threat. So the 20, it says the 20-year-old suspect <laughs> called in a bomb threat so Canadian police would waste their time chasing it, but he called into the wrong Ottawa. He called into a village in Ohio. Oh, shit. So, so the to, feds are getting involved. Now. Right. Yeah, so this man is a 20-year-old from Akron, Ohio. He called the Putnam <laughs> County Sheriff's Office twice Monday, said Sheriff's Captain Brad Brubaker. The first time he made a the first time he made a bomb threat, and then the second time he called, he said that he had been shot. That's when the man found out he was talking with somebody in Ohio. 
Um, and then it continues to say that he wasn't paying attention and just called the first number that he found. He said that he was mad about the mass mandates. The sheriff's office said it would also ask the county prosecutor to consider charges against the man. So now the man has dug himself into a way deeper hole by actually calling a local auto a police department instead of actually oh, doing anything shit. that he planned to. What a fucking dumbass. <laughs> so this guy's oh. uh, facing charges of terroristic threats. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, all kinds of stuff. So the Department of Home Homeland Security, CIA, FBI, everybody's got a hard on for this well, guy right now. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're calling like a foreign, you know what I mean, a foreign police department. I mean, yeah, I just thought that was wild. And it kind of tied into, you know, the current news with the convoy, even though we didn't really touch on this in this segment. But yeah, you got to yeah. be a pretty big idiot. <laughs> oh my God. I guess he got in a phone book and looked up Ottawa and decided that he was just going to call the first Ottawa police department. It still doesn't department. make much, much sense. He probably just Googled Ottawa and then it did the physical proximity because he's probably he got his locating services on on his phone. Right. And so whenever he did that, he just blindly took whatever number there was, and he didn't actually, you know, take the time to make sure that it was an actual Canadian number. I, <laughs> I mean, it's formatted differently, so it doesn't really make any... Like, that should just be a red flag right there. But for, but for me, it just goes to show that people just dive in on things. You know what I mean? They're, like, sure, not even logical. <laughs> well, yeah, really, here's a, re a really good comparison. It's almost like sharing an article article on Facebook without reading it. Right. Which, you know, have now, you noticed, yes. it, it prompts you to read an article yes. before you share it. Now, now it does, because uh, Pam had mentioned that to me. You know, and this was uh, over the silliest thing the other night. We were, Maggio, who does the voice of Bender yeah. on, um, on Futurama, they're doing a Futurama reboot, and kind of the big headline was that he's not he wasn't coming back, and there was a salary dispute. Right, yeah. Well, Income he, dispute? Yeah, he ended up, Announcing that he was going to come back, actually. Okay, so cool. I'm glad he is. Pam was trying to share the news on her Facebook feed, and she was like, it's me, it's got this weird thing that comes up now. She read it to me, and I was like, I guarantee you they're doing that to try and make people actually read the article so it's opening up another window. Right. And regardless of whether or not you read it, you still have to go through the step of actually visiting that website before you share it. It's it's got a disclaimer, you know, are you sure you want to share this before reading it or opening it or however right. it's formatted? I, I think it's a good it. thing. I do think it's actually yeah. a good thing, and it, honestly, it's kind of, I mean, I wouldn't have proposed it to be the idea of how to address that situation and misinformation right. going on, so. Right. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Uh, if you guys are going to call into a, a bomb threat, make sure you're calling the right location before you. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> Speaking of bomb threats, that's even while I don't, you know, uh, I don't know if Farmington, while you were in school, had those issues, but. Oh, we, Yeah. We did whenever, and kind of the big thing that was popular, unfortunately popular, was like the Columbine shooting and things right. like that while I was in school. Right. And there was two or three occasions, I do remember very distinctly, that we had those type of threads take place at our school. And, uh, you know, obviously the first time that it happened, it was very scary for us. And then eventually it kind of been, it became like, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not real, but... Right. You know, like the kids actually strangely kind of started to celebrate it because it meant we get to play out outside all day. The, one, the kids that were forced to go to school anyways, like I was a poor, unimportant kid at school. So I always <laughs> went when there was bomb threats. <laughs> I still had to go to school. Uh, and they just basically like, and like over half the kids wouldn't come on those days. Right. And they'd shove us all outside the whole time. Yeah. But no uh, matter what the weather was yeah. like. I don't know if that's still really a thing, too, so it uh, kind of dates people, but yeah. the fact that he was, I wouldn't even call it ballsy, because that insinuates some sort of um, 
positive yeah. ganache, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's just fucking stupid. Yeah. It's real know? dumb. Yeah. So those type of headlines are what are going to kind of dominate this um, segment going forward. And um, I think our talk today kind of got monopolized a little bit with the State of the Union and the affair well, with Russia. But and to be fair, when I was searching oddities and different news articles and doing research, uh, I mean, like you said, a lot of the headlines are dominated by the Ukraine yeah. situation. So it's hard to find an outlet that's not really covering that, that right situation. Now, yeah. the, the whole news game has changed pretty drastically. Especially credible sources. I mean, yeah, you can go to any website that claims right. to have a news article. But, right. You know. Absolutely. Um, so we actually are going to kind of sign off today. Um, just want to give some updates real quickly as well. So uh, we have developed out our social media sites and some of our content uh, platforms uh, since the last time we kind of went in the weeds and told you. So now we have a, a show email. If you'd like to email the show, atipodcastquestions at gmail.com. That email again is atipodcastquestions at gmail.com. Uh, the podcast is available on the following platforms, Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcast, as well as SoundCloud to an extent. There are limitations on monthly uploads on SoundCloud, um, so we'll only be able to put up so many episodes and, and so much time of the, those episodes going forward. So it's going to be kind of a clickish segment by segment, perhaps, going forward uh, with the limitations on size and files that you can upload there. So... Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the ATI podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at, at podcast underscore ATI. We're on Facebook, facebook.com backslash ATI podcast 22. Twitch is uh, twitch.tv backslash ATI podcast. Uh, our channel on YouTube is ATI podcast. Uh, I mentioned all SoundCloud earlier, the SoundCloud URL, soundcloud.com backslash all things insane podcasts. And then if you can't remember all those and get to a browser quick enough to punch them in or whatever the case is, uh, we do have flow codes uh, URLs, which is just kind of a nice jump to that can get you to all of our social platforms that you can actually visit on my personal page, which is at Barry Insane, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, but uh, also you can follow those flow code chains uh, from any of those various sites that I listed as well. So. If you land on the SoundCloud, but you want to get to our Twitter, there's there's uh, hyperlinks there for you to jump to those sites as well. So it's ease of access, and and giving us a like and follow will definitely help uh, out the show quite a bit. And also, quick update on YouTube: I am in the process of getting our stuff uh, converted to, I guess, video format, and uh, I should be uploading up within the next couple of weeks. So you, if you guys want to use that as an outlet too, like, like I said, I should be getting episodes posted that within the next couple of weeks. So, so, uh, so some folks like to listen to podcasts through YouTube, even if there isn't video, you know, supporting that being posted as well. So that's kind of what Josh is undertaking at the moment is he's, it's strictly audio file, but he's putting some nice visuals behind it so that we have that source and just kind of spreading the content right. out. Absolutely. And you can listen to us there as well. Um, I just kind of want to say that uh, this week's featured artist is actually Dire Babe. It's Jake Lorenz. Uh, he's a friend of mine. Been We've been friends. We've known each other since kindergarten. Um, you know, he started out going to school with me at AV, and then he branched off, went to Bismarck, and then we kind of reconnected right out of high school. Um, we've been in multiple bands together. He's got his own band going. Creative genius. He is a multi-talent. He is seriously, as far as raw talent of any artist that I know, he is certainly up there, if not number one, as far as friends that I know. He can play any instrument. He can play it well. 
Um, you know, and fabulous a, voice. A lot of it, and he's got an amazing, unique voice. I do love it. Yeah. Um, you know, so he's 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 got a lot of influence behind his music. He likes a lot of various bands, but he also kind of brings an original element to his music. Um, so I can't talk up talk him up enough as a musician and the the Dire Bay work that he's doing. Um, you know, he's done a lot of different things thematically with his albums where he's actually done music with his daughter, uh, incorporating her in some of the music or playing some instruments as well. Um, so it's it's just really unique. Um, he's been recording with our friend Zach, who's in an enemy airship and some instrumentation and production type stuff has been he's been assisted with there, too. So that's kind of helped some of his work, more recent work, even pop more and shine bright as talent. Uh, so I am going to leave you guys, uh, out this week with, uh, a Dire Babe track. So again, I'm Barrett at Barry Insane on Instagram and Twitter. He's Josh at Josh W on Twitter and underscore Josh Welsh at Instagram. And we are out of time for this week until next time. See you next time, guys. Stay safe out there.
Hey there, this is Barrett from ATI Pod. Every week, Josh and I talk about what's going on in the world, what's entertaining, what's controversial. Nothing's out of bounds, whether it's sports, current events, politics, TV movies, you name it, we talk about it. We're going to have local artists on our show promoting their work. That's right, you're for the people, by the people. Stay tuned, and you can find us anywhere that you get your lovely, lovely, juicy, juicy audio content. We are now on broadcasting platforms such as Spotify and Stitcher. Stay in touch with us via social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for ATI Pod. We'll see you around. And hey, stay safe out there.